Hi, you're listening to the Yale Anesthesiology Podcast. Make sure to visit our show website so that you can take advantage of the links of the papers that will be mentioned during this recording. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Antonio Gonzalez, and I'm thrilled to present our next guest. Dr. Grace Lim is an associate professor and the chief of the obstetric anesthesia division at the University of Pittsburgh. Her clinical and research work aims to eliminate pain and suffering in special populations, optimize perioperative medication use, and personalize patient care. Today, she is here to discuss two of her research papers related to the pain management of patients with and without opioid use disorders, published in the British Journals of Anesthesia and Anesthesia and Analgesia. Thank you for being here with us today, and welcome to our podcast, Dr. Lim. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, since we're going to be talking mainly about pain, I think it's only fair if we define uh, we define pain. What is the definition of pain? Yeah, I mean, uh, so <laughs> it's it's funny because there actually is a definition for pain. It was revised very recently in 2020 by the International Association for the Study of Pain, or the IASP. And to quote it verbatim, pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience that is associated with actual or potential tissue damage. Thank you for that definition. And we want to jump right into your papers, two amazing papers. The one that we're going to start with is the one that was published in Anesthesia and Analgesia. And first of all, I want to congratulate you because that paper titled A Systematic Scoping Review of Peri-Delivery Pain Management for Pregnant People with Opioid Use Disorder from the Society for Obstetric Anesthesia and Perinatology and Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine was chosen as the journal's article of the month. It is no surprise because it was an excellent study. And one of the great things about this study is that it gives us an idea of where our knowledge gaps are when caring for this special population. And I'm talking about the patient population with opioid use disorder. Would you please explain to the audience what motivated the creation of this excellent review article? Yeah, I mean, and thanks, Antonio, for saying those very nice things. It was a labor of love for the people who worked on this project um, for some time and then continued to work through it with uh, the development of some recommendations on clinical practice. But I would say we were motivated by exactly the point that you make here, which is that we noticed that despite the rising rates of pregnant people with opioid use disorder, we lacked evidence or best practices on how to address their pain both during the birth episode, um, which many people describe as the worst pain they will experience in their lifetime, um, and also after, uh, after delivery. So because of this, we put together a working group of people who were you know, interested and passionate about this topic, um, including representation from professional societies um, who are interested in this population, and, and namely that is SOAP and SMFM. Um, and our goals were to define the key clinical questions that that needed answers or that were you know, affecting clinical care for this um, for these patients. And also our goal was to identify where where, you know, if and where specific knowledge gaps remain unaddressed. So uh, just to give a, an idea to our audience, we know that we are currently living in an opioid epidemic, but do we have any particular idea of how this opioid epidemic has impacted our 
obstetric patient population. Yeah, I think the most recent estimates from the CDC are that the U.S. national prevalence of opioid use disorder, or OUD, among pregnant people is has has increased, um, and it's gone from 1.5 per thousand delivery hospitalizations back in 1999 to about 6.5 in per 1,000 delivery hospitalizations um, in 2014. If, and if you look at the most recently reported data, which is from 2019, this is self-reported data, about 7% of women who are pregnant report using prescription opioid pain relievers during their pregnancy. Of those patients, there's one in five of them are reporting misuse of opioid uh, prescriptions. And that's defined by the survey as getting opioids from either non-healthcare sources or using prescription opioids for reasons other than pain relief. And if you look at the the data from like 2010 to 2017, what it's showing is that women with opioid-related diagnoses that are documented at delivery has increased by 131% over that seven-year period of time. So, you know, these numbers are always updating, but, you know, at this time, it can be fairly said that the rates of opioid use disorder among pregnant people has been rising in parallel with the general population that is affected by the North American opioid epidemic. Yeah, it is really sad to hear that. And and it's important for our audience to understand that our patients, the obstetric patient population, the exposure to opioids will happen for the first time after a cesarean delivery because these patients are relatively young and they undergo their first surgery. Um, for uh, for a cesarean delivery. So it's very important that we need to be cautious about how we manage the postoperative pain of these patients and trying to avoid uh, patients abusing opioids in the future. So one of the things that um, I think was very impressive from your study is that you are, uh, your, your team of researchers went over 84 publications include that were included in the analysis but there were only five randomized controlled trials and one systematic review. Would you agree that the lack of strong evidence-based medicine uh, recommendations has contributed to suboptimal peri-delivery pain management? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, some of our other research has revealed both patient and provider perspectives on this topic as well. Um, and not surprisingly, pregnant patients who have OUD are perceiving some stigma from providers specifically when it comes to talking about pain and pain management. And they're also consistently reporting that they feel that their pain is undertreated or there's this general lack of urgency or priority around pain management given their OUD condition. Um, on the other hand, providers acknowledge that having OUD can make pain control harder in the context of childbirth and that um, you know, clinicians lack sufficient data, evidence, information, guidance on how best to manage their medications for OUD or to introduce new medications or leverage epidural analgesia or use adjuncts or alternatives or, or even strategically use opioids for pain if needed. So, um, you know, and that is despite there being, uh, you know, ACOG recommendations and other things, the dissemination of some information has probably not reached clinical practice just yet. And, uh, you know, at the same time, we, we still are lacking um, 
some some very specific uh, guidelines or parameters around uh, practice. So, so without a doubt, I you know um, the lack of strong and and good and high quality evidence is is contributing to um, you know the clinical needs for this special group. Yeah, I think that that you mentioned a couple of very important things: the the stigma and the conflicting area where patients are feeling that they're not being heard. And I think that's why your second study is extremely important. And we'll go over that study uh, in a little bit. But before we go there, most randomized controlled trials, and this is where I think the the problem resides, most of, of randomized controlled trials actually eliminate patients with opioid use disorder. And we create kind of this almost ideal patient population. And unfortunately, patients with opioid use disorder are left out of randomized controlled trials. Part of that is also because, you know, you have to account for the power. And how do you account for power when you don't know exactly the difference in opioid use disorder, patients with opioid use disorder versus patients without opioid use disorder? So, my question here is how can we improve the research design and adjust our power analysis to include these patients without affecting the quality of the research and the resources available? Yeah, you know, this is difficult and and for a number of reasons. Um, you know, first, as you point out, we do need to figure out a way to include patients who have history or risk factors for complex pain in clinical trials. and. You know, beyond that, we also need to increase inclusivity of pregnant people in clinical trials in general um, and in pain trials specifically. Um, but even if we reach those aspirational goals, it, it does come with some challenges. The, you know, as you're pointing out, the sample sizes uh, would likely need to increase because whenever you start introducing heterogeneity of, of patient samples, you need bigger numbers in order to do meaningful subgroup analyses. However, there are certainly ways to accommodate the need for increased sample size, including uh, pragmatic trial designs of various types. And most of the time, but not always, um, you know, these considerations can increase the cost of a trial. And often that means that only a select few places that have existing infrastructure or that have a history of successfully doing these kinds of trials are are able to lead or conduct those studies, which which itself can introduce some challenges in terms of generalization or um, uh, generalizability of, of study results. Um, and yet, you know, having said that, I am seeing you know um, a rising number of pragmatic trials across multiple centers in anesthesiology, and and I find that to be encouraging for the ability to answer these kinds of questions among people with relatively uncommon but still extremely important clinical conditions and and outcomes. Yeah, thank you for pointing out those uh, limitations when it comes to research. Um, so now the next question here addresses a little bit the what you just mentioned before, and it is the, the, the part of the patient not being, feeling that they are not being heard. And part of the problem is that because there are no great guidelines, some providers, some anesthesiologists feel that some patients need higher than typical doses of opioids, whereas others advocate that the use of opioids postpartum should be avoided given the potential for misuse, return to use, and overdose. 
as an expert in this area, would you kindly share your thoughts regarding this controversy of how and how that translates into your clinical practice or how we can actually, how should we go about this? Yeah, I mean, um, well, first I'll start with a bit of a spoiler alert, which is um, <laughs> that uh, your listeners can stay tuned for what will be coming out very soon, which are um, a multi-specialty consensus statement that that is on the topic of pain management in pregnant people with OUD. Um, and that has been a three-year effort among um, you know, experts from SOAP, SMFM, and ASRA. Uh, but long story short, there there is a role for strategically using opioids for pain management, but it ideally needs to be a shared decision with patients and their prescribers such that um, you know, that discussion is ideally taking place well before the onset of pain so that the goals can be clarified and established well ahead of time. Um, and having said that, we certainly don't want clinicians to stigmatize the use of opioids for these patients, particularly if there are simply no effective alternatives. You know, in other words, untreated pain should be taken as seriously as we would for patients without OUD. Um, you know, so, you know, to put this a different way, to reduce the stigma of treating pain with um, with opioids in this particular special population and, and to reduce explicit or implicit clinician bias when treating this pain, we, we really do need to make full use of all medications, all non-medications and techniques that are in our arsenal of pain treatments. Um, you know, for this special population. So, you know, in our practice, in my practice here, we strive to talk with these patients um, in prenatal anesthesia consultation so that we can share decisions around if and when these agents would be used in an acceptable way for the patients. Um, and we document these conversations in the notes so that when they arrive for their labor and delivery encounter, the entire team has access to these discussions and can repartner and readdress with the patients in real time. Um, and I think those prenatal conversations are so important uh, to build positive and trusting and therapeutic alliances between patients and anesthesia providers. You know, and ultimately that also, you know, that partnership um, and that trusting relationship helps us reach successful um, outcomes for these patients. Yeah, I think that you mentioned something that is extremely important for the audience, and it is the the concept of shared decision making. And just realizing, as you mentioned, that truly pain is what the patient tells you pain is. That's exactly right. And we shouldn't uh, limit the uh, accessibility of pain management for patients based on our own biases regarding the potential risk for something to happen. If anything, I think that patients are probably more at risk of misusing opioids if their pain is poorly addressed. What are your thoughts? It's entirely possible. Every every person uh, comes to labor and delivery with a set of individual needs and perspectives and, and goals. And so the, um, the treatment of their pain really needs to be centered on what it is that their, their perspectives are on these things. I want to um, ask you a, a question here. And I know that from the systematic review, there was not a great question uh, 
area of consensus on this area, but it's a question that comes up very frequently. And that is, at your institution, are your colleagues utilizing intratecomorphine? They're reducing the dose, increasing the dose of intratecomorphine, which is considered to be the gold standard for postoperative analgesia. Yeah, so this will actually, um, this point is going to be covered in that um, consensus statement that will be emerging soon. And uh, the, you know, quick story here is that uh, we do, we use neuraxial morphine. We keep the dose the same as for any patient without OUD, there, there is very little evidence, um, as pointed out in the review of the literature on that um, particular topic of whether a dose adjustment is necessary or required or, or effective without um, inducing the side effects that come with it. So we our general practice is the same. Um, we also, you know, I will note that one of the things our, the guide, the consensus statement is going to point out is the need to disclose and have this conversation with patients regarding this, the quote-unquote standard use of neuraxial opioids in both labor and post-cesarean delivery pain management. And the reason is because um, in the postpartum period, sometimes these patients may be subjected to testing. And by virtue of the way that these medications are metabolized when used in the neuraxial space, it is possible that you know, uh, systemic uh, absorption of these medications and metabolism then can emerge into the urine testing that is done later on. And that has implications for these patients um, and for the social support structures that are around them. And so there may be a desire from patients, you know, to avoid the use of any opioids throughout their hospital state, irrespective of the potential complications it may introduce to their pain management. Um, and those are decisions that, you know, I think are best made together with the patient and not necessarily made on behalf of the patient simply because it is, quote unquote, a standard. Um, the goals need to be established with the patient and and then, you know, a, a tailored plan um, also needs to be established with them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And again, you mentioned these uh, concept of shared uh, decision making, and and now this brings us to your next paper, which was published in the British Journal of Anesthesia in 2022, titled "Association Between Postpartum Pain Type, Pain Intensity, and Opioid Use in Patients with with and Without Use Disorder." What was the primary aim of this study? Yeah, in this study, we wanted to characterize more deeply what the pain experience is for postpartum patients and beyond the zero to 10 pain intensity scale. Yeah, I think this study is genius because it actually concentrates on the patient telling you how they feel and how they describe their pain instead of just trying to concentrate on a single number. You actually ask the patient for a visual analog scale number, but also the description of the pain so would you please describe the seven pain types utilized in your study? Yeah, the seven types that we used were coded using um, validated patient-reported outcome instruments that were based on the short-term uh, the um, SFMPQ and PROMISE inventories. Um, and so very briefly, they were affective evaluative pain, visceral pain, somatic nociceptive pain, dynamic or evoked pain, neuropathic pain, nociceptive pain, or a combination of nociceptive and neuropathic pain. 
So why include these pain descriptors in addition to the traditional 11-point numeric rating scale? Yeah, if you think about, you know, your clinical practice, our clinical observation is that patients may have very similar pain ratings, you know, in the mild, moderate, or severe ranges, but their level of suffering and the quality of their pain may be very different from each other and even within themselves, depending on the type of pain that they're experiencing. We also thought that potentially opioids were being used arbitrarily to treat moderate or severe range pain intensity, um, but that alternative agents may be more appropriate depending upon what kind of pain that the patient was reporting. So we also wanted to know if there were key differences in pain intensity score, this pain type, and opioid analgesia use you know, vis-a-vis these, these ratings among people who had a diagnosis of OUD. Would you please summarize the methods of the study? Yeah, this was a prospective observational cohort study of about 2,600 patients who reported almost um, 45,000 pain scores and pain types during their postpartum hospital stay. We coded the postpartum pain type using the McGill Pain Questionnaire and Patient Reported Outcome Measurement Information System, or PROMISE, inventories. Um, in people who had and who did not have opioid use disorder after childbirth. Our co-primary outcomes were pain intensity on that 0 to 10 scale and um, total inpatient oxycodone uh, use in milligrams. We used multivariable linear mixed effects models to assess between and within person relationships for pain type, which was our primary predictor, and the co-primary outcomes. And, um, you know, what that means is that we were able to assess what happened to pain intensity and to opioid use whenever a patient had one pain type or another. But we were also able to assess what happened to these things between groups of patients who had one pain type or another. And so um, that was, a, a you know, a particular strength, I think, of our study was we were able to speak not only to you know, uh, pain types between patients, but also within a person themselves. And um, we use that approach, uh, you know, we did that separately for a subgroup of patients who had opioid use disorder. Thank you for that. And would you kindly summarize the most salient results from your study? Sure. We found that pain type was significantly associated with pain intensity and inpatient opioid use after delivery. And among people who had opioid use disorder, affective and nociceptive neuropathic pain dimensions were key drivers of pain intensity and opioid use. And in particular, um, affective pain in patients who had opioid use disorder was associated with an almost 11 milligram uh, higher oxycodone use um, dose compared to those who did not have affective pain. And so overall, our findings are suggesting that these tailored pain management uh, treatments that are addressing nociceptive, neuropathic, and effective pain dimensions are really needed in order to reduce both the you know, intensity and suffering related to pain and also uh, opioid use after childbirth. Thank you so much for that summary. And I want to thank you again because you have been a leading expert on this area of post-operative pain. And in your excellent editorial, Labor Pain, Analgesia, and Postpartum Depression, Are We Asking the Right Questions? You state the following, and I quote, The pain experience requires a cognitive process that involves an assignment of emotional balance, 
a process that may trigger a physiologic stress response and the associated psychological sequela, such as anxiety and depression. My interpretation and linking these to your study is that patients provide a number and a descriptor, for example, seven burning pain or seven awful bad. From the patient describing the pain as burning, we know that the patient describes the pain as a neuropathic pain, and she may or may not understand that this is part of the healing process. On the other hand, the patient describing the experience as awful, it may be a hint that this patient is having a hard time coping with her recovery. And, and this is a difference in the balance of the pain. And it's like, explains why pain is such a multidimensional uh, a factor. So both, both patients in this particular example I presented are expressing the same number, the same value, but they're giving a different interpretation to the pain. So what are your thoughts? I think that your, your study was genius. What are your thoughts regarding this interpretation I just made in here? You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, current postpartum protocols, they tend to use these number values of zero to 10 as triggers for the analgesia interventions. And what our data in this study is suggesting is that the type of pain is, is just as important. Um, and throwing opioids at people with severe seven to 10 range pain is, is probably not the right approach because some of those people in that severe range pain category, but describing cramping, for example, might benefit just as well from an NSAID and they may not need opioids. Um, you know, it, so in summary, our pain management protocols probably need to evolve beyond these sterile numeric intensity assessments. And our data is showing exactly how that evolution could begin by, you know, honing on pain types and tailoring treatments to those descriptions. Um, so I think this information can form the basis of, of potential future interventional trials. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, I, and again, thank you so much for these incredible studies that you've been putting out there. And I think that our audience needs to understand that our obstetric anesthesia field seems to be moving in that direction of moving away from single numbers for for describing the patient's recovery. We're probably looking more at functional recovery, a series of questions addressing uh, overall um, psychological and as well as physical uh, recovery and a ability to care for for the baby. So I think as a as a field, we're looking more into functional recovery, and it will be an extremely interesting study to see the same uh, study that you perform here, but utilizing the uh, the obscure uh, ten questions and see how these patients actually score in their functional recovery and see if these can be early predictors for early follow-up of the patients and uh, to link that with postpartum depression that has been shown by excellent studies from Dr. Purvis Sultan um, in a recent study. Um, so with that, um, I would like to end the podcast with the top five recommendations from Dr. Lim regarding this topic of postpartum pain management for patients with opioid use disorder. Yeah, I mean, if I had to boil this down into maybe, uh, you know, into top five recommendations, the first might be to, you know, think about some practice improvement opportunities that increase the ability to develop these therapeutic alliances and trusting relationships with this special population. 
in our practice that is, you know, coming in the form of the formalized antenatal anesthesiology consultation service. And along those lines, you can also become familiar with alternative labor analgesia options and evaluate, you know, um, your practice to see whether it is possible if your patients could benefit um, from updates in those areas. Um, you know, second, be aware of implicit and explicit biases when treating patients with opioid use disorder and all patients, um, pregnant or not pregnant. Um, we all have that, you know, these biases and the goal is to be aware of them so that they ideally are not interfering with adequate pain management. And, um, you know, as you pointed out, Antonio, any report of pain of any quality and from any patient is legitimate and it needs to be addressed. Um, Third, treating opioid use disorder is highly individualized. And so because of that, our care planning, too, should embrace patient heterogeneity and hone on individual goals for pain treatments, um, should leverage shared decision making where appropriate, for example, in the use or non-use of systemic or neuraxial opioids. Um, Fourth, we really need to improve clinical trials in probably in two ways. First, to increase representation of patients who have complex pain, including opioid use disorder, in labor and postpartum analgesia trials. And secondly, generally speaking, to increase inclusivity of pregnant people in clinical trials in general and in pain and analgesia trials specifically. Um, and then finally, keep an eye out for these upcoming multi-specialty consensus statements from SOAP and SMFM and uh, SMFM and ASRA on pain management in pregnant patients with opioid use disorder. And that's expected in early 2024. Um, I'll, I'll highlight uh, that there are many areas of low levels of evidence on many recommendations. So by no means does this consensus document put controversial points to rest. And instead, we need to continue doing good research in these areas so that these patients, providers, you know, everyone has better evidence to guide decision making. Thank you so much for those recommendations. Those are excellent recommendations. Really looking forward for those group recommendations. And another thing that I want to highlight here before we end the podcast is that you're coming up with um very nice book as well, right? It's coming now, December? Oh, yes. This book is a third edition of Obstetric Anesthesia and Uncommon Disorders. And um, and uh, it should be released here very soon. It was uh, many contributions from some, some very talented people and really excited for that to come out. All right. So congratulations on the soon release of that book. And thank you so much for your time today and for all your contribution to our subspecialty. Thank you.